Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Ed M., Mike P., Ed P., who's in and out because he's on the road and he's praying for G's, and myself, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. Uh, folks, I assume everybody's got opinions on the Supreme Court opinions. There's so many out there. Um, Ed M., as our legal scholar and correspondent, which is the most important and the first one you'd like to talk about? I'd say the most important is the one not handed down by the Supreme Court, but by uh, Judge Dart. Doherty or Dotry or I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name in Missouri versus Biden, where he in issued a stinging injunction on the Biden administration, preventing it from coordinating and even talking with social media companies mm -hmm. because because of uh, documented censorship. I think that's the most important case and uh, the biggest case is that that's a district court, right? Yes. What have its what are its chances of survival? Wasn't that for a preliminary injunction or something that, that was written up? Absolutely. So that means he hasn't even heard the case yet. Well, no, in order to in order to get a preliminary injunction, you have to show that you have a likelihood of success on the merits, among other things. So he did hear a merits-based argument and said that the that the plaintiffs had made a strong showing that they were likely to succeed on the case. Right. So it's not an appealable thing yet, right? Um well, federal courts generally don't have don't allow for um appeals halfway through the case, which are called interlocutory appeals. Uh, but in the case of a of an injunction that's issued you can i believe you can get uh a, an interlocutory appeal on that i'd have to look at the jurisdictional sections but i'm almost positive they they can and probably will appeal that yeah because i'm wondering yeah. how long this will survive i mean we'd have to expect this case is going to get to the supreme court um, this was the one case actually i think i brought up a couple of weeks ago and i lost track of where it was i thought maybe it had gotten there already but, but it hadn't but yeah, no, I agree with that. This is probably one of the most important cases, if not the most important case that we're looking at right now, because it has to do with our fundamental right of free speech. So let me let me ask you a question, since I obviously haven't read the case itself with all that much about it. This were, I believe, two states that sued the government, correct? Yes, Missouri and Louisiana. Why did they have standing? Um, I haven't read the opinion, but I'm sure they have standing based on uh, representing their citizens, representing their citizens. Isn't that pretty much what we keep losing on? Every time a state sues somebody, they say you don't have standing because there's no harm to any particular person. What do you mean? Um, well, let's see. The whole federal election lawsuits, they were thrown out because states had no standing. Mm-hmm. Well, this is representational standing, I'm guessing. I mean, I, I honestly, it's a 155-page opinion, and I haven't read it. Um, I've only read the, the articles discussing it. Um, 
I can go through and do a legal analysis for you. We can talk about it on next week's show. Um, but standing is something that every federal judge has to independently review. Um, so I'm sure that there was standing in this case. I mean, it's it can be raised at any time. It can go up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court can throw it out on standing grounds. Um, I don't know what was argued, so I, I can't really say, but I, I would well, think I would think that it was based on a representational capacity. So well, what I'm saying is without knowing too much, states don't always have standing. Now, if I hear you correctly, each judge can decide what is standing and he has a lot of leeway on that? Well, standing, in order to show standing, you typically have to show that there's a real injury called injury in fact. You have to show that, that a favorable court decision would redress the injury. You have to show that the plaintiff who's bringing the lawsuit has a different injury than the general public does. Um, okay, so then I'm really so curious. Somebody, somebody like an Alex Berenson. Who how in the world does on. a state argue that? The state's not harmed in any way. Well, if it's representational, then they're standing in the shoes of their individual citizens who have been harmed. In the same way that, for instance, the NAACP has brought lawsuits on behalf of Black people. Right. So I'm just asking, and, and I don't know that you have the answer right now. Does this go up against previous decisions where courts said, sorry, you don't have any standing? Am I correct that that's one of the first things you have to establish when you file a case is why you should hear the case? Uh, it is a pre it's it's the first thing you have to establish before the court will even turn to the merits. Yes. Right. OK, so I guess that hey. may be interesting to look at. Hey, and I was um, I was wondering from a. a procedural standpoint, um, since this is a preliminary injunction, isn't isn't that appealable immediately? Like, can't the government appeal the preliminary injunction? I'm almost, I'm, Stephen already asked that question, and I'm almost positive that they can. I just can't. I'd have to look up. It's uh, 28 U.S.C. 1291, I think. Um, I'd have to look look up the statute. And don't quote me on that section. That's just off the top of my head. Uh, but uh, there's a jurisdictional statute. I, ordinarily in federal court, you can't do an interlocutory appeal, which is an, uh, a, a, an appeal before you get a final order. But there's an I'm almost positive there's an exception for uh, grants of an injunction. I don't know if you have, uh, I don't know if it applies to a denial of an oh, injunction, but this one was granted. I, I, I haven't read it either, uh, but all I can say is I absolutely respect the judge for releasing it on July 4th, which is a federal holiday, which meant he meant to do that. And uh, and I think that is, um, that's fantastic. That uh, mm -hmm. That is one thing about the decision, which I haven't read that I, that I really, really appreciate. Yeah. Well, what, what's interesting about this case too, is it's uh, a lot's happened, I think, since they first brought it. We learned a lot more since Elon took over Twitter I have my timeline right with all the the dumps that they've had with information about everything that's happened here so uh, i can only presume this case has been strengthened in the past number of months don't they at what point can they add arguments that they didn't make originally ed 
At what point can who make arguments that they didn't make originally? Okay, so the plaintiffs were the states. Yes. Mike is saying a lot has happened since they filed the, the case. So can they keep adding arguments on things that happened between when they filed it and when it's heard? Or is it a case where you can't just, if you didn't argue it, you can't argue it? A preliminary injunction is an injunction during the pendency of the lawsuit. Okay. A final injunction is where you move for some, you ask for summary judgment and you say, okay, forget about during the pendency of the lawsuit. We should win and we should get a final order granting a final injunction that's permanent relief. When they make that motion, they can add new things in, sure. Okay, so then they can add in new things. And I assume that when a judge makes a pretty strong statement like this, that makes life a lot harder for the opposing counsel, right? When What makes life harder for the opposing counsel? When you see the judge ripping you to shreds in a preliminary injunction. I don't think the Biden attorneys give a darn. They don't care. Neither does Sotomayor. Somebody else, yes. If if I lost, if I if I were on the other side and I got ripped a new one the way that judge ripped the Biden team a new one, yes, that would that would bother me. But um, I don't think there's any sleep over it. Again, the three status liberal nutcases on uh, you know on the court aren't going to care. They've already made up their minds. It's a matter of whether they can peel off. Two of the other five, right? If it gets- and is there an issue for those of us who are more federalistly inclined? I just made up a nice adverb. That what gives him the right to enjoin so many people, or is this where was this case actually heard? Um, well, it was heard in Missouri, but I mean, I, I there is a difference between an individual bringing a suit against the federal government, and for those of us who read the original constitution, maybe think that um, the court can set aside the law for that individual in that particular circumstance with those particular sets of facts, as opposed to enjoining the whole government just because of one person. That's an argument we can do. Um, However, this is so blatant and affected so many people across the United States. And it was such an, uh, I, um, it, it was such an atrocious violation of the Bill of Rights um, and that, you know, how would you go to the Biden administration and say, OK, you're not allowed to um, you're not allowed to interfere with um, free speech, but only for those people in Missouri and Louisiana. So, I mean, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable for a court to join them uh, to do that, even in a federalist. Uh, circumstance. I mean, in a federalist circumstance, in a real federalist circumstance, you know, the, the more federal circumstance than the um, the uh, the states would write laws that fine these companies, you know, a million dollars a day if they if they unreasonably, um, you know, censor legal speech from one of the citizens of those states. And, uh, you know, then that would be the Federalist solution to it, um, the pre-Federal Civil War solution. So I, I you know, I, I still think they should do that, but um, this is good. But I'm just saying the other side's not going to be yelling that we're hypocrites, that all of a sudden we're going to let one district court, you know, change the whole country. I, I'm not sure think- that the other side cares, like, like Ed said. Not only that, but... 
I'm not sure how this could be cabined to just one, you know, one state or two states. I mean, the what what the Biden administration has been revealed to to have done is is a system systemic national implementation of censorship. I don't think that only applies to Missouri residents and Louisiana residents, even though only their attorneys generals are the ones prosecuting the case. I mean, how can how can you tell how can you have an injunction saying you can't talk to Facebook about things going on in Missouri, but you can't talk to them about what's going on in, in Maryland? It, it would be impractical to imp- implement that. I mean, how, how could it how could you separate that out? Am I mistaken that these big tech companies have the ability to block things in certain states and not others? Sorry. Maybe, yeah. Uh, they probably do. Because I remember reading something a few days ago that I think that's what it said. And I don't remember the issue. But that, I don't think well in this state we'll no longer talk about this. Um the one thing about um Gab, which is a real free speech platform, even if some of the people on it are very unsavory, um, is uh they were told in no uncertain terms by, I think, Germany that they were to uh, censor um, some speech, and they told Germany to go to hell. Uh, they're not censoring. And so it might be the case that the German government then is putting blocks in place to block Gab in Germany or whatever. But that's the German government's problem. That's not uh, Gab's problem. And I, I think from the standpoint of free speech, that's kind of how way it goes in the States. Right. Too. I mean, we know these social media platforms cater to these other countries around the world. They, you know, so. But they do have different rules in different countries, don't they? Because some countries sure. really go after them. Yeah, I don't see how, you know, we, for instance, um, you know, the, the swastika itself is banned in Germany. And so I, I, you know, obviously the swastik is distasteful, but um, it's uh, I don't see how Germany can go after a U.S. social media company that's based in the U.S. where display where a, any random user can display a swastika on their thing. And I don't see how Germany has a standing to sue a U.S. based social media company. I mean, if they want, they can they can prevent their citizens from seeing that particular thing. But I, I don't know whether. Um, I, I don't know on what legal basis they could sue um, Gab. I mean, they could sue Gab in a German court, but so what? Gab's not in Germany. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Okay. The reason kind of I ask so many questions is, I mean, there's all these other rulings. So the ruling on affirmative action, um, where- Well, I would like to comment on, on the ruling on affirmative action, Stephen, because I am not a lawyer, though I do play one on YouTube. Or not on YouTube anymore. I guess on Rumble. Obviously, yeah. wherever. <laughs> now I'm going to give you. I don't have the tinfoil hat uh, because I'm driving. I, normally, I would put on my tinfoil hat, but I want to do a conspiracy theory and see whether you you uh, like this. Um, uh, John Roberts wrote the majority opinion in throwing out um, uh, affirmative action in universities, except for the. Um, the uh, military you know, academies, military military academies, um, and my tinfoil hat conspiracy theory is that John Roberts was 
um, on the side of keeping affirmative action. That is that it, for, for the longest time, it was 5-4 in favor of throwing it out. But since the chief justice gets to assign the writing of the opinion uh, on whichever side he won, he wanted to write the majority opinion. And so he switched sides. This is my conspiracy theory. And he wrote which leaves a dozen loopholes that these schools can go through to continue to discriminate on the basis of race. Okay, first off, and I will give you out? a trigger warning. Um, Ed, sure. I want to just point something out. If I'm not mistaken, this was the issue that Ed Maslish nailed last week. Oh, yes, he was absolutely right. Six, and three. I was absolutely right. He predicted 6 3. 6 3. Yes. To our very own yes. Ed Maslish. And I predicted 5-4 against, and I was 100% wrong. Yeah. So let's, and let's I, not, I was, let's I was, in, I was in the middle. Well, I, <laughs> I think I predicted weaseling, which I can still argue, but I did not predict numbers. But go, go ahead, Ed. Well, I mean, in their ruling, the, the majority ruling in the ruling by Roberts uh, said you can't discriminate on race, but you can discriminate based on like, like circumstance and, um, you know, discrimination that you faced and all of these other things that could be proxies. And, you know, my trigger warning for, you know, both listeners is that I'm going to be discussing something that you're not going to like. So turn it off if you don't like it. And that is that um, if you go strictly by test scores, then Harvard would be 55% Asian, 40% white, 3% Hispanic, 2% mixed, and 0% black. And, um, and and let's be honest, um, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I, I don't even sure the Asian students want that, to be honest. I, I don't think that is what anybody wants. Um, and so I think that um, certainly the trustees of Harvard and the president of Harvard, the admissions of Harvard, and the alumni of Harvard don't want that. Um, so I, I, I don't see that happening. I don't see the number of Asians going from the current 23% to 55%. I, I just don't see it happening. If it and Hispanics population going from 10 to zero or 10 to two, um, I just, I, 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 they are going to figure out a way to get around this. I think the Asian population will rise and I think it'll come all out of whites. But the problem is that it's the white people who are the legacies. A lot of people are allowed into Harvard, not necessarily because they're the best of the students, but because they're the sons and daughters of people who have gone to Harvard or Yale or Princeton or whatever, and who have donated large sums of money. And you donate $100 billion for a new facility or something, and then you expect Harvard or Yale or Princeton to allow your you know, layabout son or daughter to go into the university. And so, you know, it, it's really going to hurt the, it's not going to hurt the legacies. Uh, it's going to hurt the smart, diligent white kids. But aren't they going really, after the legacy know, I, I, admissions right now? There's a lot of pressure on that. And a lot of these, you know, I, I are liberal and they're going to have a hard time defending it. I, I don't, I, I don't think you just asked about hypocrisy on the other. I don't think they care. I, I don't think hypocrisy is something that they uh, are uh, even capable of seeing. I, I, they see that they've given millions of dollars to Harvard uh, over the years, and their grandfather and their father gave millions more, and their grandfather gave millions more. And by God, their son or daughter is going to go to Harvard, 
and I, I, and I you know, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. Let me interject. I, I don't think that legacy admissions violate that decision. So I don't think no. that there's anything to challenge. And from the school's perspective, no, but I mean, you legacy admissions you, give them a lot of money. So, right, they, I, but I don't. What, what I'm, the current racial balance now, which is something like twenty-three percent Asian and forty percent white and ten percent Hispanic and ten percent black, and of course there's foreign students in there and all that. You can look it up online. Doesn't really matter. It's like if you are going to raise the admissions of of Asians on the basis that they do much better on these standardized tests than any other ethnic group, then it's going to come out of the proportion of either whites, blacks, or Hispanics. And I'm telling you that it's not going to come out of legacy whites, and it's not going to come out of blacks and Hispanics, maybe a percent or two, just for show. It's going to come out of the number of diligent, poor, white, smart, white students, because they're the only ones that's the only place it to come from, you know, so that that is oh, why I'm going to make a split between legacy admissions whose daddy went and legacy admissions whose daddy gave $100 million, because I think the first group yeah. is going to get hit hard. There's going to be discrimination, whether it's lawsuits or fights. And a lot of people are starting to fight that right now. And I think they're not going to last just as well. Money's always going to talk, but not just the fact that daddy went there. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I, that, I think that could be right. it. Yeah, the, not every alumni is giving millions and millions of dollars to these schools. Right, now we know that Obama's kids, I think, got into these schools on merit, right? Yeah, exactly. Totally on merit. And mm -hmm. Bushes. And yeah. but yeah, and and uh, Biden's kid, they just or his grandchild that he got into Penn. Yeah, well, a what, lot of them will be better off at other schools anyway. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, Mike, you know, you're hinting at the real question. Who wants to go to these schools and is the only thing they're gaining the friendships and the I mean, connections? Because I don't know what the education is. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, if somebody's going to an Ivy League school, you would think that they're going to probably do better than most people in life. But I, I don't know. I mean, but I think that's a lot more to success in of education. But there's a lot more to success than just going to a big name school. Doesn't, yeah, well, the late doesn't, doesn't mean everything. Angelo Cotevilla, who wrote The Ruling Class, um, tried to explain it this way. Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Brown and Columbia and, and whatnot are the entry points for the ruling class. These are the people who are going to go work in Wall Street. They're going to go work yeah, on um, in the newspapers and the New York Times. They're going to go um, work in government. Uh, they're going to go work on all those nonprofits that control government. Yeah. It's the entry point for the ruling class. This is what you have to do. They're not going to hire upper Michigan state graduates to go to, um, you know, Wall Street. That just doesn't happen. I don't care how good you are at upper Michigan state. You are not going to go uh, and get a job on Wall Street. You're not going to go and get a job at these nonprofits that control the country. And, 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 and it's, it's an indoctrination factor. Now, I went to Princeton for graduate school, and of course, I went to science, and it was perfectly reasonable and excellent schooling. But, you know, a lot of, uh, I, you know, in, in the Alumni Weekly, you can see that a lot of Princeton is, in the undergraduate department, is pure propaganda. And, I, you know, there's nothing, uh, nothing to say about that. I mean, they are training the next 
generation of the ruling class, and they do not want <laughs> they do not want uh, uh, all these Asians in there. I can tell you right now, they don't want them. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, again, I, I see the Asians uh, rising from twenty three to maybe thirty. I see the blacks and Hispanics going down a point or two, and I see the whites being hammered. And and not the, well, all and, assuming and, that any of the big schools give a hoot about the decision. Yeah, I mean, already no, saying that they're going to tell people what to write in their essays to get in. Well, that's what they do at these nonprofits. They go down to Central America and train these alleged migrants what to say when they mm -hmm. um, when they come here and claim refugee status or asylum. They they train them in Spanish that this is, these are the things you must say, you know, I am being persecuted because of this. I fear for my life. I, you know, and all that. And then we get these hordes of people coming in and, and Biden has instructed all of these, uh, you know, border agents to say, oh yeah, you fear for your life. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Check that box. Come back in three years. Well, that's what the universities are going to do. I mean, I, you know, I think that to be honest, to be honest, the whole point of the civil rights act, of stopping discrimination based on race um, should have been focused on, on government discrimination based on race. And so when it comes to upper Michigan State, they can't discriminate on race or Penn State or um, Rutgers or uh, you know, NYU, they cannot discriminate at all on the basis of race. Um, but when it comes to private institutions, I, I, I think they could probably, they should, be allowed to discriminate on whatever basis they want. Uh, unfortunately, there, there's no saving these institutions. Making them 55% Asian is not going to save them. They're still corrupt. And they're still going to be propaganda mills. And they're still going to be the feeders to the New York Times and the Washington Post and the WEF and the, you know, all of these other things. And it's just, you know, it's just going to be a smaller group of people. I don't know. I'm done my rant. Okay, and I and you know I put one article in the show notes that there's one medical school in California that's using adversity or some other thing to let people into medical school, which is such a uh, positive thought about how our doctors are getting trained. Mm -hmm. I mean, my problem with the medical school, sorry, a new new rant is is not so much that they let a bunch of incompetent people into medical school. They let them out. That is that they graduate them and they operate on people and stuff, and that is you oh. know if you. Are seeing you know, a, a doctor younger than about 35, you better make sure yeah. they know what they're doing. Well, you know the old joke, right? What do you call a medical student with a C average? Doctor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> we should, we're not going to tell the lawyer joke about C averages, right? <laughs> no, I have a skunk joke about that one, but anyway. Oh, okay. And then the other big ruling, because again, I don't know how much the affirmative action ruling is going to change things. That's time will tell, I guess. The one about the graphic designer. And I think that's also a tremendous case that you can't be yeah. forced to do things. Um, that's a fantastic decision. Held speech. Yeah. But we've had well, so much of that and so many cases like that bouncing back and forth. I assume there'll be plenty of um, courts still trying to do it. It's going to be mm -hmm. interesting, but it's definitely a great, great um, step. Well, my my dis my disagreement with that decision is that it has to be on religious grounds. And I have no problem with people who uh, have religious grounds, but there's all the rest of us. And every other right in the Bill wow. of Rights is understood broadly 
broadly. So it's not the right uh, to uh, keep and bear muskets. It's the right to keep and bear arms. It's not the right to um, freedom of the press where you have the giant press and you do that. It's the right to communicate. And in fact, the right to freedom of religion is really the right to freedom of conscience. And it should not be restricted to people who have a religious um, basis for their objection. Uh, anybody who has a rational basis for their objection to uh, engaging in these farcical uh, activities um, should be able to uh, say no. So, so that this was, was, my this was written that because of freedom of religion, not freedom of speech? Yeah, freedom of religion. As I understand it, yes. That was my understanding. I could be wrong, but that was my understanding. Yeah. And I mean, what isn't a religion is another interesting question, because any uh, firmly held set of beliefs can be called a religion. Ed, is, this, this Ed, is the problem, though. We, we, that it was religious, not speech? What, the Colorado case? Yeah. No, I think it was speech, that she couldn't be forced to, to um, promulgate messages that she had she a didn't. personal uh, opposition to. That she has Not based on religion, based on anything. Well, I mean... Well, that's they did say it was about religion, but I think that it was about free. I was about whether she could be forced, compelled to to disseminate a message that she disagreed with. And it just happened to be that the message yeah. was religious. But I don't but, think that's I mean, what's the case. This case differed from the prior one with the baker in Colorado. Right. I mean, there was a different issue. So I thought they were taking this one on more directly over free speech, whereas that one, if I remember, was a little bit more nuanced or what have you. Well, the Supreme Court first with that um, Colorado one, they just said, you're going after him too personally or something, and they didn't really rule on the issue, if I remember correctly. Yeah, correct. But this, it, is, a, but, this is a big, big issue for so many people. Sure. Uh, the compelled speech. I mean, I get it more, you know, in the clergy, more in what we can't say than what we're forced to say. But I don't know what my protection would be if somebody would try to force me to say things yeah. against my religious beliefs. But, but to Ed P's point about the other cases, it, it's like we kind of have our guard up that they, there is a loophole or what's the catch here? You know, <laughs> we're waiting. We're waiting to see if they gave them some avenue to pursue, you know, things and uh, attack our freedoms. Um, well, there's an article today uh, where somebody said um, the article is uh, uh, outraged that if you have they them pronouns in your, uh, um, you know, your uh, CV, your resume, you're much less likely to get the job. Now, I am not hiring anybody right now, but if anybody has any pronouns in their bio, in their CV, it goes in the toilet as far as I'm concerned. Uh, because that's just not a serious person. Um, so uh, the interesting, you know, but Gorsuch has read in the gender to the Civil Rights Act. He, he that was one of Gorsuch's, Gorsuch's worst uh, decisions, where he he talked said gender and gender identity are part of the Civil Rights Act. So how does this decision interact with that decision? You know, I I don't understand. It's completely incoherent. Well, this too, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of people who are in our corner, seeing them on social media, like Bravo, applauding the Supreme Court, like, oh my God, you know, finally they're they're standing up for our rights and doing the right thing. And listen, I'm all for applauding when they get it right, but to sit here and act like, you know, the courts are still our friend, 
when so I many believe, times they you know, haven't been. When I think about it, I think Come about on. it, at least in this case, they weren't our enemies because I don't think they're our friends, but at least they didn't go against us in these cases. You know, in this case. Yeah. I mean, like I said, got to take it on a case by case basis. They seem to get it right. Fine. We applaud. I don't think but... our court, I don't think the courts were ever designed to save our rights the way we need them to save them today. I mean, we as a people and our state legislatures and so many, so many, on so many levels, there's been so many defaults. I just don't think that the courts are equipped to handle it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, mean, it, I, I think, I think part- the Biden student loan case is, is a perfect example, right? I mean, courts are, are designed to deal with, with legitimate disputes, legitimate disagreements about the implement, the, the interpretation or implementation of a law. That's not a legitimate dispute. That's Biden saying, I'm not going to enforce the law. Yeah. And the default is Congress should either cut funding to him or impeach him. And the people should rise up in revolt, in revolt yeah. especially on an issue like that, where almost everybody disagrees with the opinion. I mean, or with the uh, with, with the policy. The only people who support student loan debt relief are these whiny ass kids that spent you know six figures on a degree that's worthless right i mean somebody's against it so why aren't we revolting on it but you're you're right because a lot a lot of these cases are they're hinging on the fact that there's usurpations of power that have gone on we have a federal government that does a lot of things that it's not supposed to do not they're not enumerated powers we have a president that went from a, a pen and a phone with obama to now you know biden with a student loan thing these are all attempts at usurping power. And when they get into the hands of the courts, we're sitting here on eggshells because suddenly these nine lawyers in black robes are going to determine our complete fate. And it was never supposed to be this way. So, so well, is- I like the comment. Right. Um, I like the comment about rising up, right? Let's rise up. Well, let's review what happened in France over the last couple Yeah, of I was years. about to go to France. <laughs> um, because <Where> um, <laughs> these migrants... Uh, uh, savages have risen up because one of their uh, migrant brethren was uh, killed. The chances of his death uh, uh, are murky uh, by a cop who stopped him. He was seven, the migrant was alleged, allegedly 17 years old, and uh, the cop stopped him for some traffic infringement and it escalated, and the kid got killed. If he was a kid, if this would actually happen, and then uh, the migrant communities in France have uh, risen up and started burning all uh, uh, cities down. And then French nationalists, actually actual French people, um, rose up mm-hmm. uh, w- with sticks and bats, you know, I mean, not with guns, but with, they don't have any guns, but with sticks uh, into their neighborhoods and beat the crap out of these migrants if they, you know, came into their neighborhoods where actual French people live. And guess what the government has decided to do? Attack the French nationalists and imprison the French nationalists for, quote, rising up and trying to defend their homes and property against these savage invaders. And it's bizarre. But how these people, how this government stays and, you know, keeps getting elected, I have no idea when they're literally, um, you know, complicit in the burning down of their own country Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively well is that any different than america with blm can burn down cities 
but J6ers are all in jail. I mean, but I agree with Ed M a million times because the system was designed that each branch was a check on another branch and no one ever predicted that nobody wants any power. They want to just make money and defer to the bureaucratic agencies. So that is a big problem. And that is right. When the president does something so incredibly illegal, we should every single human being in America be on the phone and make sure Congress does something about it. But that's never going to happen. And I'm so sick of seeing the people like well, OC get up there yelling yeah. that everybody in America is against this decision. Well, I'll say what I've said before. If everybody in America were against this decision, within two, three hours, you could get 38 states to pass a constitutional amendment. But the well, you, is, have, you have half the electorate that is cheering them on. Very few people in the electorate are behind most of these things, which is why they're not passing constitutional amendments on abortion and guns, et cetera, et cetera. But um, predictions of where France is going to go, is it going to just peter out? Or is this like a test case for the Muslims because they know in 10 years they're going to win? I think this is, I mean, I, I, go ahead, go ahead, Ed. I think that the world is, I think it's more connected than we think. I don't think this is a disconnected event from, say, Ukraine or what's going on with the Iranians getting nuclear weapons. I think that, I think these things are all related and the bad guys are, I mean, I, I don't know that it's a conspiracy, but I think the bad guys are all testing out how far they can go and how much resolve the West has and how much pride the West has in Western civilization. And I think in every instance, they're finding out the West has no backbone and no pride in, in I mean, they have pride in their, in their gay community, but they don't have pride in Western civilization. How are you and, tying this into Ukraine? How do I tie it in? Yeah, I'm missing that one. I, I just think that, I think that the 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 Western alliance is being the Western NATO is pressing the issue in Ukraine. That's true, and that's different than the bad guys pressing the issue in uh, in France. But I think that the globalists in general are the ones who are running the show. I think that the bad guys are all being funded by and are controlled by the globalists. And I think the globalists are looking to take over, to, to overthrow the United States hegemony, hegemony and the United States order. And I think that's really what's going on right now. And even though they're attacking France- I mean, we can't say there's no conspiracy. We can't say there's no conspiracy because the EU gets together and does things like uh, uh, tries to pass a rule where uh, Everybody takes, uh, you know, X million migrants and Hungary and Poland say absolutely not. And so the EU gets together and decides that, OK, we're going to pass a rule where each country doesn't have reach again. I mean, that, I, if that's not a conspiracy, I don't know what it is. It's people getting around in back rooms and talking about policies that they try. Yeah, I mean, that's I think if Daniel were here, you'd be talking about Bill Gates a little bit, too. Yeah, I mean, well, the point is that there is flocking behavior going on. Yeah. If you ever see a flock of birds, you know, it, it's not like every bird follows the leader all the time. It's there's flocking behavior in that the different birds get to be leaders and then another bird goes off and, you know, 
And I think there is flocking behavior among these things, but they're so determined to destroy, quote unquote, whiteness or, quote unquote, white supremacy or, quote unquote, uh, uh, racism that they're willing literally to burn their own countries down rather than be seen to be racist. And I think that's what happened in the United States. And that's what, and of course, uh, there's no point in, in France, uh, um, you know, fighting racism because it was just a bunch of French people. So let's uh, invite a bunch of Africans in so we can show how not racist we are. I mean, that's, that I mean, that's even not- beyond racism, though. I, I think the globalists don't even think of themselves as Frenchmen or Englishmen or Americans. No, 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 they do. They don't. No, that's true. They, you're absolutely the global right. citizens, they, of course. Right. Yeah, citizens of the world. Yeah, I, 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 I think they're. But of course, they're always I, they're always planning this. Obviously, the, the riots are going. The riots are going to peter out um, in France as the summer wanes. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I think the riots in the United States um, petered out uh, after Kenosha. Um, and you know, again, I, I think the they petered out after Trump was gone. <laughs> Well, they yeah, did. but I mean, they did their, they, they, they but no, after, their, their goal. after Kyle Rittenhouse killed two riders and and um, brilliantly uh, injured a third. Um, I think the riders began to understand that um, there are people who are willing to stand up. Um, it, it, it's, it's like as, as tragic as the Kent State shooting was in the early 1970s. That kind of put an end to those riots, too, all across the country. Okay, so Kyle well, Rittenhouse is just like the French going back to beat them up with sticks. And just like in France going after the French for beating them up with sticks, they went after Kyle Rittenhouse, except for Kyle Rittenhouse miraculously won his suit. And Right. But I'm not talking about the suit necessarily. I'm talking about when you when. When rioters, when the bad guys start getting killed by the non-bad guys, killed now, not beat mistakes, but actually killed, um, then I, I think the rioters have much less interest in at least going outside of their own neighborhoods. And to be honest, who cares whether they burn down their own neighborhoods? Um, I'm going to disagree with you when they're Islamists. I, I, yeah, I, I agree. Islam is Islam. Why? You know what I mean? I, I was like, why is this? I mean, I know that uh, Trump crushed ISIS in like, you know, three or four months after he found out that the military was systematically not crushing ISIS. And he went over there and gave orders to the general on the ground to crush them. And they were crushed. Um, so I, I get, but, you know, Islamism is, is in, in the modern sense of the term, you know, a couple hundred years old. It's not going away. And, uh, and, and I wonder why, I, you know, again, it, it leads into conspiracy theory. I, I, I hate to have the two sinful hat on, but like, why did Islamic terrorism sort of vanish from the world stage, um, like at the end of 17? And then, you know, other things uh, started being, you know, I, I haven't gone to the um, religionofpeace.com. Uh, and to to see whether there are specific Islamist attacks um, lately, but it does seem like, in the United States at least, the impetus for Islamic terror has gone down, and I wonder why. It's not because the Islamists are less militant or less hate, hateful of Christianity and Judaism in the United States. 
I just, maybe the FBI isn't pushing them to do it anymore. I don't know. Maybe they don't want to do it when there's a Democrat in office. Yeah. Or maybe we're just lucky. Um, I saw the Arizona Attorney General basically saying he doesn't care what the Supreme Court said about religious freedom. It's still illegal to discriminate. And I think I've said it many times before, the problem with Supreme Court rulings is they don't enforce themselves. And there's no punishment if a state says tough. Why do you think that's a problem with Supreme Court rulings? Do you want them to have their own police force? I mean, that's no, what I want them to do is stop charging me in a second. Here's the deal. If the Supreme Court has no enforcement power, then please stop stealing my money to pay their budget. If what they say is meaningless, then why are we paying them money? So do I want them to have cops? No. But if if their statements mean nothing, I don't want to pay their salaries. Well, I don't want to pay any of those salaries because they're all a bunch of C words, as one of our mutual friends would say. I would not use that word. But the, um, you my, know, my, I can argue the, the federalist Court. argument that states could do what they want, and I'm happy with that argument. But the only Supreme Court rulings that seem to ever be enforced are the ones on the Democrat side. So if I, I wouldn't want the courts to have the power to enforce their rulings, they need to be able to have the support of the people and the support of the states. And that's why I think courts are ill-equipped to handle most of the things that we want them to handle today. These are things that the culture has to change and that the people have to say, we want a free society. We want, we, we don't want discrimination. We don't want, you know, whatever it is we want or don't want, we don't want COVID restrictions. We don't, whatever, all, whatever we want, we shouldn't be running to a judge asking a judge to to issue an order. We should well, be remember, remember the history. A lot of these things we're talking about now were overreaches on the part of the courts to begin with, like affirmative action mm -hmm. um, and uh, the whole cake thing. Um, that was an overreach on the part of the courts to begin with. So, again, if courts are going to be super legislatures, uh, you know, the freedom loving people didn't make them that, you know, Earl Warren or, you know, the, the switch in in time saved nine, you know, in 1937, one of these, uh, you know, but Earl Warren really made it a super legislature. Right? And if if, there, if if that's what it really is, then might as well be our super legislature than than the communists. OK, I, but I don't, don't, don't courts put officials or can they not and have they not put officials in contempt of court for just saying I'm not going to comply? Well, depending upon what you're talking about, sure, they have that power, but the power is not, it, it's only designed to coerce compliance. It's not supposed to be punitive. A criminal prosecution is punitive. Okay, so when an, when an attorney general says, screw you, I'm not listening to your lousy decision, that's forcing compliance. But if the Supreme Court doesn't call them in and say, guess what? You're going to jail unless you say you're going to comply with our orders. So well, the Supreme Court does the, the Supreme Court basically remands the case to the district court or for um for Correct. ultimate disposition. So the district court would then um potentially on the motion of one of the you know seceding parties 
demand the attorney general show up and explain what he means and, and you know potentially order his arrest. Uh, I, I don't see that happening. I would love to see it happen, but I don't see that happening in the case of the Arizona. But courts general. don't have that power. They do. The district courts. Oh, not circuit courts? No. Well, it's not that the circuit courts or the higher courts don't have that power. It's that they don't exercise it. And it's a good thing. We don't want courts to overstep their power. The We want the lower courts that are closest to the action to be the ones that that issue those orders and and I think that the the power you're trying to to vest in them is a really dangerous power. These are unelected people, they can't be recalled. I mean, I don't want them to just be able to throw people in jail willy-nilly. So then I'm going back to my question I've asked for years, what's the point of a court if no one has to listen to them? That was the free speech case that he was thumbing his nose at. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying yeah. It's here it's so, discrimination. It's still illegal. Okay, so what what is he going to do? So throwing people in jail? Yeah. Well, excuse me. He's very simple what he does. He goes to a state court and he does. He forces these people to do it. And then they have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars that no one has to get it back yeah. to the federal courts. And, and the why shouldn't he do that? What? The process is the punishment. The process is the punishment. The process is not the, process is not the punishment to the guy refusing to comply. The process is a punishment to the poor person who doesn't want to have to bake cake. You're talking it's, about well, the, he's you're talking about up the up Arizona a, Attorney yeah, General. Yeah. You're talking about the Arizona Attorney General saying, I'm not going to enforce this ruling on the Colorado case. Well, he's saying that the law right. here is what the law is, and we don't care what Supreme Court said. Okay, so now you're going to have a, a bunch of... Uh, Pride activists running around that state, going to every bakery, mm-hmm. saying, "Bake me a cake," and they're going to throw every every business owner is going to be thrown in jail. No, but they'll be fined <laughs> or put out of business, which is what they did to the poor guy. To what's the infill? And then, I, okay, so I don't, I don't pay the fine. Screw your fine. Uh, then well, you they go won't to jail unless you go to federal I mean, court and play the whole game again. Yeah. If, if the Arizona Attorney General brings a loss, you know, prosecutes somebody. Or brings a civil or lawsuit. Chaos. Brings a civil lawsuit. The the defendant should make an immediate motion to uh, to dismiss based on the Supreme Court ruling. And if it happens more than once or twice or three times, word gets out, and eventually you ask for an injunction barring the attorney general from enforcing that statute, which is not self enforcing either. Huh. You can do it in state court or you can do it in federal court. You can file in federal court and say the attorney general is is enfor- is is acting unconstitutionally and enforcing this state statute. And we seek a declaration of, of, of unconstitutionality. I mean, you can do that, especially if if there's a hit, if there's I mean, one of the you, you know, you started the show off, Steve, and asking about standing. I mean, one of the things about standing in a in a pre-action, uh, you know, to you know, to to sue in a declaratory judgment action, you have to show that there's actual or threatened enforcement. If you've got two, three, four, 10, 20, 100 cases, then you've got actual enforcement. And then you just have to show that you just need a a, a plaintiff against whom action is either threatened or it has been taken against them. And once you do that, then you ask for an injunction. Again, declaring the law unconstitutional and enjoining the attorney general from trying to enforce it. 
And then if he violates that, if you get that order, which you should get, if he if he tries to enforce it again, then he's in contempt. Then the court can throw him in jail for contempt. Right, but you still stuck with having to give the court that power because if there's no enforcement, it doesn't matter what they say. And there's no reason to think that a liberal attorney general who wants to run for governor and eventually president doesn't want to make a name for himself by doing that. Oh, that's possible. I mean, you look at our attorney general in New York, what's her name, Letitia James and stuff. These people are totally out of control and Mm -hmm. they'll end up being Supreme Court justices. Hope not. Yeah, I want to ask a question to uh, Ed uh, about, like, I had a friend's uh, daughter who uh, just passed the bar in Massachusetts, and um, she's very smart, and she was worried about it, and, you know, she thought she did, she thought she did okay, but she was really worried about whether she passed or not. Apparently, the bar exam is a very, very difficult examination requiring a lot of memorization of various statutes and a lot of argumenting, argumentation and logic and whatnot. And then I look at somebody like Joe Biden or Ketanji Brown Jackson, who can barely put a sentence together, even when they were younger. And I wonder, how did these people pass the bar? I just don't know. How how did somebody like Sonia Sotomayor pass the bar? Or Letitia James or any of the... Uh, How about our esteemed vice president? Yeah, exactly. Kamala Harris, how did she ever pass the bar exam? Again, I I don't know about the other states, but apparently the bar exam in Massachusetts is quite hard and requires a lot of reasoning and logic skills and argumentation and and articulation of uh, case law and, and, and legal argument. And like Kamala can barely put two sentences together. And even Joe Biden, he was young, couldn't do that either. So how did they pass the bar? I, I, I asked this as a, this is an honest well, to God, real question. Well, first of all, the bar is not designed to be that hard. Most states have a very high pass rate. Uh, California is one exception. And I guess Kamala, Kamala or Kamala or whatever her name is, she she did um, pass really. in California. Uh, but most states have a, a very high pass rate. Usually it's in the 70 to 80 percent range. And again, when you remember that the bar is a licensing scheme, the purpose of a licensing scheme is not to keep people out. It's to ensure a low level of basic competency. So most people, so the bar is not designed to be that hard for someone who has a basic understanding of law. Um, so the bar is not that high of a bar. That's what you're trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, I've asked for years, how come there (laughs) seem to be, there are lawyers who are basically illiterate and I've I've never understood that. It's because Um, it's because it's a licensing scheme and you can't bar people from practicing a profession, uh, you know, for just because you don't think they're good enough. That's for another show to take that one on. Um, There's a story that I think was up before last week that I've been meaning to ask you guys opinion on because as a libertarian, it's, it's a difficult one for me. So Florida has this law restricting Chinese buying up land near military installations or whatnot. And the DOJ is fighting it. And I'm very conflicted, the government telling me who I can sell my land to. On the other hand, I really don't want China buying America. Now, I think Ed Maslisch, I think you once said, no big deal, we could just nationalize the land or something, or somebody made that argument. 
but if there's a war, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I remember I'm, I'm a little caught up on this one because I, two sides of me argue two different sides. So I'm curious as to people's opinion. Yeah, I think that's a hard case. I really do. I think the idea that the states conducting their own foreign policy, I think that is uh, um, 100% against the original intent of the Constitution. I mean, the original intent of the Constitution was the federal government would do foreign policy in the states, uh, foreign policy and ensure that the states don't put up trade barriers between each other. And that's it. That's all the federal government is supposed to do. And um, the states are supposed to do everything else, you know, the police power and all of that. Um, and so Florida deciding to, you know, engage in foreign policy like this, even if it's against the CHICOM, so I am absolutely 100% against, um, you know, from originalist position, I think it's probably- Why is that foreign not, policy? Yeah, I don't see it as foreign policy. I Trade. see the private property issue. Trade. Well, it's foreign policy in the sense that they're, they're singling out one particular country and companies that are based in China from purchasing certain property in uh, in the state of Florida. But, that, but that's and not like I don't think I think that should be federal policy. You know, I, I don't disagree with the policy. I just think it should be federal. Yeah, I don't know I, if I see that as foreign policy. I don't think that the federal government has any say necessarily in land ownership. I don't. I, I mean, I think it's sort of like it's sort of like the the whole immigration issue, right? If if you look yeah. at immigration from the standpoint of, well, should the government be able to tell me whether I can or cannot contract with a Mexican landscaper about coming to my property? A libertarian is going to come to the conclusion: no, the government has no business doing that. But you can't just look at it in in a vacuum. You've got to look at things in a, in a larger context and what's the purpose of government the purpose of government is to protect the citizens from objective threats the chinese are an objective threat governments at yeah. all levels federal government the state government the county government the municipal government have an obligation to the citizens to protect their citizens from that threat well i hear you ed and i i i agree with that argument as well if i agree with my own that's why i said it was a hard it was a difficult case. You have a federal government, the, the heads of which um, both parties are uh, bought and paid for by the Chinese Communist Party, are owned in a sense, uh, from, from Biden to McConnell to uh, you know, the Democrats uh, in Congress and many Republicans. And, um, and so you know, from the standpoint of defending the United States against the Chinese Communist Party, I, I think, yeah, everybody should take a stab at it. But if you're asking me, like, is this, should this be a thing, you know, if we look at the original purpose of the Constitution, I, 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 I have real problems with it. Um, but I agree with your pragmatic kind of discussion. It's like all hands on deck right now because of the number of people who are owned by China in our government. And I think this is actually, I should bring this issue up at the beginning of a show, because to me, it's getting even more complicated. Besides that you're taking away my right to sell my property to whoever I want to sell it to. What if instead of saying we can't sell to Chinese, we say we can't sell to Blacks or Jews? I mean, Again, obviously, it, have to, be, it, it to me, it's grounded in 
Or do blacks and Jews pose a threat to us? I mean, Muslims well, pose not, a threat. Well, the it's difference, not, the difference no, it's not blacks and Jews. Are they, are they it's, citizens? It's, it's oh, Nigerians and Israeli, right? It's like, can you sell it? Because uh, let's face it, guys, the people who spy on us, like number two, if China is the highest, is the Israelis, right? So, I mean, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, if, let's, if the Israelis are going to buy, uh, you know, land next to a sensitive military installation, the Israeli government or some com company controlled by the Israeli government, I'd say, yeah, no, you know, because... They spy on us like the number two biggest spy against they're the gonna, U.S. You're going to say that's discrimination based on something. So you're saying, okay, difference between a citizen and a non-citizen. Um, it's not totally germane to this, but are you following the El Al purchase mess? No. No. So um, I hate to go here, but it's an interesting story. A year or two ago, El Al was purchased by an Israeli guy whose father is a non-Israeli gazillionaire. And so he basically gifted the money to his son because Israeli law says to own their airline, you gotta be an Israeli citizen. Now, apparently it's alleged that the gazillionaire father got his money through all kinds of, uh, shall we say, um, twisted means. And they wanna start hitting up against that sale. But I think people could make you know, the case we can't sell to any non-citizen. If they would say we can't sell any land to any non-citizen. And of course, with um what's what I'm looking for, not shadow companies. What's what I'm looking for? Come on. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, we get it. Shadow companies. Oh, okay, it. Shadow, I got it. Shadow, shadow, shadow companies. Okay. Shadow companies. Yeah, it's very hard to prevent it anyway. I mean, we have a president who's bought, and he's not bought by the Chinese Communist Party, he's bought by like 12 different LLC, you know. Yeah, corporations in between. So you know the the American part of me says more power to DeSantis. I want to be really careful who owns my country, but my other parts are uncomfortable with it. Well, didn't we stop the nine eleven mosque years ago too? Wasn't that a another issue? zero mosque? Yeah, uh, might be a little little different, but. That's an interesting, an interesting point, point because it sounds like a very different question 22 years later, doesn't it? Mm. Um, I, how about, you know what I'm thinking? I'm going to call my congressman after the show. We should pass a law that if China wants to spy on American military installations, they have to send balloons. All right. You guys aren't <laughs> laughing anymore. I quit. I'm sorry I missed that. Because no, I forget it. Forget it. It went flat. Um, no gut felt. He just took, he okay. took the, the air came out of the balloon. With the that. Air, came, the oh. air came out. The only other story I wanted to mention, and then we'll get to everybody else's stories that you didn't get a chance to mention, was Nigel Farage being debanked. In huh? the UK. I wish Daniel were here to talk about it. Um, we're, we're tend to be aware of those getting debanked here. Mm -hmm. It seems like it's going on in other places as well. And that's scary as hell. It is. You know, when I look at the 21st century, I, I see only one sort of political giant, and that is Nigel Farage. Here is a man, now I know they betrayed Brexit, but here is a man who, without any power at all, without political office, um, except for the, the meaningless member of the European Parliament, he succeeded 
anyone would thought possible in pushing uh, the Brexit, even though it was betrayed and, and partially betrayed. Anyway. And he is a real hero. And he, he's just a guy. And he, um, he, really, he really had a, a huge effect. He was sort of like um, uh, the only person in the United States uh, similar to Nigel Farage in my lifetime was Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly is, is a, a hero, and she had a real impact without having any um, office. And I can't think of anybody before them. Um, so I, I think that's why they're debanking Farage. Um, and of course, the, uh, the Tory government is a bunch of traitors. Uh, it just depends on who your treason is or in favor of these days. But, um, yeah, I hope he gets the only things. thing you can discriminate against is politics. Yeah. So, well, eventually, if I get enough money, they'll probably debank me as well. So, yeah, if I had any money, I'm not, I'm not noticed <laughs> yet, luckily. Okay, stories we didn't get to real quick. Mike, you want to go first? I, honestly, I didn't really have anything this week. Uh, you know, obviously, yesterday was July 4th. And every year as I get older and I contemplate it, I mean, I, I have to be frank. And like my my feeling of, uh, dare I use the word, pride is not <laughs> is not quite the same as it was when I was growing up. And it, it saddens me that that's where we are. But I I just don't. I mean... It's it's hard to have the same feeling for your own your own country when you see where it's heading, and you're feeling less um, free. Yeah, I mean, but you know, I, I obviously less free. We see our liberties eroding. Um, you know, we see what's happening with the culture and everything, and how you know split we are. You know, Lincoln said, "A house divided can't stand." I don't. It's just generally speaking, it, it it's hard for me to have the same overwhelming sense of pride that I did when I was growing up in the country. And it's just lamentable. You know, I shared with you guys a couple hours ago, the Jack Posobiec um, episode interviewing, I forget which stone on the JFK assassination. And if you believe that Lyndon B. Baines Johnson killed John F. Kennedy, that really changes your outlook on the whole country, doesn't it? Well, whether it was him or the CIA. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really, when I talk about July 4th, keeping in mind that any of that stuff can happen really erodes your, I guess, faith in a country. So I, I, I feel with you. Yeah, I have a friend who believes that the government had has been, you know, taken over by the quote-unquote deep state starting, you know, in 1960 on the and uh, you know maybe before that when the CIA was created, I just don't know enough about it to uh, comment one way or the other. But he is convinced that um, the elected officials have no real power mm -hmm. anymore over the direction of the country, and 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 not just dummies like like Busher or or uh, Biden. But, um, you know, but even the Greens mm -hmm. and uh, Clintons, who are no dummies, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I disagree with Clinton, but he's not a dumb guy. No, he's not a dumb guy. By the way, I guess we forgot to discuss the uh, war between Russia and Iraq, but we can leave that for another week. Yeah. Indeed. Okay. Ed M? I didn't have any stories that we missed. Um, we are in the third quarter right now. I think it'll be interesting to see what the fundraising numbers are for the candidates, especially on the Republican side. Uh, I'd also like to see what Bobby Kennedy's fundraising numbers look like when uh, when those are released. Uh, those are stories to to watch that we'll get. I'm not sure exactly when in July those numbers are going to get released, but uh, we should get those numbers pretty soon. I think Bobby Kennedy is, again, whether I agree with half of his issues or not, but he seems to really be in it. I mean, he's not afraid to attack people he disagrees with, seemingly. And to me, that kind of shakes things up a little bit. Of course, I don't know if it's very safe to be him right now. Mm-hmm. He spoke in New Hampshire no. recently, right? He spoke at Porkfest, which got Porkfest an amazing amount of um, publicity that probably never had nationally. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was very controversial up there because he had metal detectors. And Porkfest is the ultimate libertarian festival where you don't do that kind of thing. Yeah. That will bring Alu on one day to talk about all those angles on Porkfest. Mm-hmm. But he does seem not shy about bashing Biden and bashing Democrats. And I think that just makes yeah. it interesting. How was yeah, I mean, my, my one issue, I guess, this week, um, it is uh, today, I have not watched the whole thing. I've only watched part of it because I'm busy today. But um, he, uh, Bobby Kennedy's on the Russell Brand show. Russell Brand is an interesting character. He got off the train to crazy town during COVID. Um, you know, he, he's been a lefty all, all his life, of course, comedian and whatnot. And uh, he got off the train at COVID. And, um, and he has a full interview with... Uh, Bobby and, and Cheryl Hines, his wife, on Rumble today. And Russell Brand is going to have a full hour-long interview uh, on Rumble this Friday with Tucker Carlson, which I think is is sort of must-see TV. Um, you know, I think Bobby, obviously, he's not perfect. Um, he's, he, he made some, you know, he made some noises against the Supreme Court rulings this week, all of which were, you know, not perfect, but good. Um, he is very good, though, on free speech, and he's very good on totalitarianism. He's very good on uh, disassembling the pharma industrial complex and the CDC and whatnot, you know. And I really think that he is making the splash in a way that I think um, our guy DeSantis could, but isn't. And I just don't understand what is going on? As someone said in our article I uh, uh, reading last night, is that it looks like DeSantis is raising all this money and spending it on the same consultants that caused Republicans to lose time and time and time again. Because, I mean, you take somebody like Bobby Kennedy, who occasionally makes mistakes or non, you know, definitely liberal viewpoints, and he's making an impression on staunchly conservative people like myself. And here's DeSantis, and he's just floundering. And I just I wish he would just learn. Be the Bobby yeah. Kennedy of the Republican Party. 
You know, I, I think you're describing being authentic and perhaps maybe not being very authentic at the moment. Didn't you well, share? Didn't you share that article, Ed, about uh, what was that Russian general? The Russian, the Roman general uh, Fabius. Yeah, Fabian strategies. Kurt, Kurt Schlichter decided that well, he's going to be like Rocky. You know, take the punches, take the punches until Trump wears himself out, and then give him a knockout blow. That was kind of Rocky's. Uh, solution if for those of us who grew up watching that. But yeah, I mean, the Fabian strategy is never really engaged, just knock them at the edges. And that is not going to work. I mean, I know Kurt Schlichter is all in for, for DeSantis, and we all like DeSantis. Nobody here doesn't like DeSantis, but why can't he be authentic? Why can't he just be like the Republican Bobby Kennedy? Can't yeah. he see that somebody like Bobby Kennedy is what? He's not mean tweeting anything. He's not insulting people. He's not putting down women or all the things that Trump was compared about. He's just, he's being authentic. And why can't DeSantis do that? And I, I just don't understand it. He's throwing away the best chance we have of, uh, of, of someone in the conservatarian biz uh, winning the presidency because he's, he must be listening to all these idiot consultants who have lost race after race for the Republican Party. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just sad that, to see it. You know, that's my only answer is the pressure to listen to all these brilliant people is so strong that nobody can ever be themselves. And I think that's a pitfall. I'm going to end the show with one story, which probably was the most important story of the week, but I forgot to mention it. Huh. New York shoplifting has gotten so bad, they're locking ice cream containers. Yeah, I saw that. You have to open them up kind of like the old videos and, and stuff like that. You have to, mm -hmm. you know, some kind of gadget. I mean, how low can we fall, guys? When we lived in the well, San Francisco Bay Area, there was this beautiful multi-story mall in downtown San Francisco called the San Francisco Center. And it was anchored by Nordstrom, my wife's favorite store. And it was beautiful. And it, it had all the great stores, uh, you know, in it. And right next to it, uh, on the other side of the street, was a Macy's. There was a Hilton Hotel in Union Square. It was it was a great it was a great shopping. San Francisco Center is closing due to crime. The Hilton Hotel, which I've stayed at multiple times, which is a beautiful hotel, large, you know, forty story hotel, closing because of the crime. The Macy's, I haven't heard of, but it's got to be going to be closing too uh, because of crime. And, and, and have you heard anything? Has, anything? has anybody done anything? No, no, they don't care. The heart of the tourist district in San Francisco is closing because of this pro-criminal uh, behavior on the part of the politicians. And yeah, we hear nothing. Well, to get back to Ed M's point a long time ago, where are the people? Yeah. Where are the well, people? A, a lot of them pick up and just leave. Yeah, they're voting with their feet because they don't believe voting with their ballots makes any difference anymore. And I can't tell you, I can't go to them and tell them, no, you're wrong. Voting does make a difference. Um, I can't tell them that. So they vote with their feet. All righty, folks, we're going to wrap it up for this evening. Um, please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. We will be back next week, and hopefully Daniel will be with us again, and we can get more perspective on what's going on across the pond. Wishing everyone a good evening.